Building Church was the title of that message. What if it doesn't happen the way I pictured it in my head? And so I want you to take out any preconceived notions that you have about the word Pentecost. Because if you were raised in a liturgical style church like I was, you didn't even really mention Pentecost. If you were raised in some charismatic circles like I have attended, everything was only about the word Pentecost. But there really wasn't the spirit of Pentecost there. And so I want you to throw out any preconceived notions that you might have of Pentecost this morning. Because God's going to do something amazing this morning. Also, I want to encourage you in this. Um, in, in just a few minutes, you're probably going to see Miss Wendy get up here and she's going to begin to paint. Okay, and some of y'all are like, well, I've never seen that in church. That's okay. I hadn't seen a lot of stuff in church. Amen? You know, I, I, I'm amazed at how we've limited the expression of God to people who can sing and people who can speak. You know, we have completely limited the expressions of God. If you can't sing and you can't speak, y'all can go ahead and take up the offering. In Jesus' name, it's blessed and bless those who give it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for your service uh, to the kingdom of God as you give it. And so, so in this this morning, I want to encourage you as she gets up, she's going to begin to use her gifts and talents in a way that many of you probably have never seen, but I promise you're going to be blessed. And I'm praying that awakens something in your spirit that says, you know, I can do this really well, but I want to start doing it for the kingdom of God. You know, we didn't think it was weird when we opened up a cafe back there and several ladies said, I can serve coffee really good and began to use that as their expression, right? And but 20 years ago, that was crazy. You serve coffee in church, <laughs> right? That was only for Sunday school and outside of the sanctuary and everything else, right? So I want to encourage you as you see different expressions of how God can move in people's life. I pray that you wouldn't shut it down, but I pray that it would open up something in you that says, you know, I am a great baseball coach. And I've coached Little League Baseball all over Sulphur Springs in this county forever, but I need to start doing it for the kingdom, not just the county. Nobody would think that's weird because we're sports mania in America, right? Yeah. So I'm going to encourage you that as you see giftings go into operation, and you may have not have seen it in church before, well, maybe we've limited God too much in how we let him express himself in church. And so I want to encourage you as you begin to hear the message this morning, if you begin to see this this morning, God's going to use it mightily for his kingdom's sake. And so as you found in um, the book of Acts, chapter number 2, we're going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, and we're going to experience what Pentecost truly is for what the Bible says that it is. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. For what the Bible says that it is, not for what church tradition has said that it is. And so the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost, some of your versions say have fully come, has fully come. Mine says when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and many versions say in one accord. And suddenly there came from heaven... A sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance now I want to encourage you as we read this this morning that it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come what does that mean and what 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 is fully come even arrived well, the Bible talks about some amazing things, and you have several feasts in the, um, in, the, in the Old Testament. You have the Feast of Passover, you have the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the three major ones, and there's other ones that fit in between there. Well, we know the Feast of Passover happened in the Old Testament in Egypt when Moses was about to lead the people out of Egypt. 
And as that was going to happen, the, uh, God came to Moses and said, I need you to take a lamb and I need you to sacrifice the lamb and I need you to put the bloods on the tops and the sides of the doorframe because when you come out, the death angel will pass over. That's the term Passover. That's all the significance that there is. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, that's all that Passover means? The angel's going to pass over us? Yeah, it means he's going to pass over us and he will not strike down the firstborn of any household that has the blood on the tops and the sides of the doorframe. And we know from that day on, Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt. He led them across the Red Sea and was leading them to the promised land until all this other stuff happened and they messed up and they had 40 years to wander, right? But listen to what happened after that. God said, after the Passover, I want you to count seven Sabbaths which is 49 days, and on the next Sabbath, which will be the 50th day, I want you to come up to Mount Sinai and get the law. And so on the 50th day, he went up on Mount Sinai and got the law of God and brought it down. And he said, this is going to be the feast of first fruits, and it was called Pentecost. Why was it called Pentecost? Well, because it literally means this. Penta means five Coste means to the 10th, 50. So 50 days after Passover, we're going to celebrate what, the, what we have term, given it the terminology as Pentecost. And all Pentecost really means is 50 days. So a lot of you have heard Pentecost and Pentecostal and charismatic and all this stuff that goes along with a Pentecostal type movement. And all Pentecost means is 50 days. So some of you have heard Pentecost and you're like, whoa, 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 that's not for me. 50 days isn't for you. Most of you have been alive longer than 50 days, so Pentecost is for you if you've been alive longer than 50 days. So we have freaked out over a term that literally means 50 days. But the amazing thing is when the Feast of first fruits was happening, when he got the law and brought it down, it was 50 days after the Passover. In the New Testament, when Jesus was crucified, it said count seven Sabbaths because it was the Passover when Jesus was crucified. And on that 50th day, I want to have you hold the Feast of first fruits. This was their tradition. They did it every year. It wasn't because Jesus was crucified. It was 50 days after the Passover was the Feast of first fruits. So listen, Jesus, after he raised again from the dead, walked the earth for, earth for 40 days. Then they had the 10-day time period in the upper room. And so when it says the day of Pentecost, the 50 days had fully come into effect. Guess what happened? The Holy Spirit came. Now listen to the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament... The Passover happened. He went up on the mountain and got the law. The New Testament, the crucifixion happened, and we went to the, path, the upper room, and the Spirit of God came down for the Spirit of firstfruits, which is the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And on the Feast of firstfruits, 3,000 people got born again because the Holy Spirit came into the house of God. Now listen, what does that mean for us? This is my prayer. That the presence of God would move in our church in such a way that people all around us begin to get born again at an un unexplainable rate. Because it's great for the spirit of God to fall in the house of God. It's like, woohoo, we had a good time in church. And nobody gets saved as we leave the house. I see a great disconnect. 
But if we say we want to do what we read in the Bible so we get Bible results, that means when the presence of God begins to fall, that means people outside of this house should begin to be getting born again. And I'm so grateful that in the first quarter of the year, the first three months, we had 77 people born again. Praise God. And that's awesome. But that took three months for 77 people. This took three minutes for 3,000 people. Do you understand the difference of what we've been in versus what God is trying to bring in? And so I want to encourage you as we talk about Pentecost this morning and some terms that happen with this that get ready because it is something for everyone. It is powerful for the kingdom of God and it is needed and necessary because I'm telling you this morning that one out of every five houses gets up and comes to church if it's a good Sunday. What's more about one out of seven houses gets up and comes to church. So I'm telling you, for every one time that I enter this house, there's seven people that don't. So there's seven people right in Joel's neighborhood or seven houses right in my neighborhood that I could go with the presence of God and say, let's have an encounter with Jesus. Listen, there's more than enough churches or there's more than enough people in this city to have every church filled three times to overflowing. I've done the math on it and still have lost people and not have a place to come worship. So this isn't about competition. This isn't about a great growth of TWBC. This is about just doing the math, number one, making it black and white, number two, that there is a lost population in our own city. And believe me, I love world missions more than anybody in this building, but I love this city and what we should be reaching this city at a higher level, man, more than I love world missions. And so there's a great place for the poor outpouring of the Spirit of God. And so the three major feasts, you have Passover, which was filled with Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Pentecost, which was fulfilled with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles, which has not been fulfilled yet because that's the catching away of the church and the eternal um, tabernacling, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ um, in, in, those, in those days um, at, at the, the redemption of His people. And so where I get the scripture from for count seven full weeks or seven Sabbaths is Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. It says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath. From that day, you brought the sheath of the wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And you shall present a grain offering of new grain, first fruits to the Lord. Leviticus 23, 15 and 16. And if y'all would really fall in love with Leviticus, you would understand the New Testament a lot better. Okay, I'm just going to leave that and we're going to go on. So the actual definition of Pentecost, and they've had it on the screen, and I want you all to take a picture of it, write it down. It literally means 50 days. So what does this relate to us in the New Testament? If you'll flip in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, they're going to put this screen on there also. It's just 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 33. It talks about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 11, it talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, um, 12 through 31, it talks about being one body. 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love. 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about tongues and prophecy. Now, the thing about the American Bible and the way we've got it today is Paul wrote all this as one segment, but we've broken it up into chapters. And we as pastors, and I'll I'll put the guilt on us as pastors and teachers, we love to preach on segments of the Bible, not comprehensive passages of Scripture. We love to preach on 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 33, and the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself. Take the body and the blood of Jesus by faith, and we leave it. We miss that it goes right into, because when you do that, you're preparing yourself to operate in spiritual gifts. 
And he talks about the amazingness of the spiritual gifts. But the spiritual gifts are here for one person, one purpose. So that's we become one body. And we're here for one body. And if we're not walking in love in 1 Corinthians 13, we've missed it all. And then it talks about tongues and prophecy. And we love to just emphasize 1 Corinthians 14 because, woohoo, that's exciting. Paul didn't write it like that. And we have, and we have meticulously dissected and butchered the scripture. And if there's any reason for divisions among the church, it's not because of the devil. It's because of pastors and teachers and adequate teaching of comprehensive sections of scripture to show how they all fit together in the body of Christ. For example, everybody loves Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. It's the full armor of God. But you notice how it starts out. Finally, brothers. Well, if there's a finally, that means there's three or four steps in front of that that I should have went to. And if you'll start back in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about what it's like to be born again. And after you're born again, the first thing you need to do is figure out how to fall in love with Jesus and follow him. And after that, the next thing you need to do is fall in love with your wife, husbands, and learn how to treat and honor and respect her. Then it says how you need to treat your children. Then finally it says, put on the full armor of God. But we've never really taught it like that. We love to talk about husbands honor and respect and love your wives and wives your husbands in weddings, and that's about it. Because it's not popular in today's culture, especially in America. Do, do you understand? We've missed it by not teaching comprehensive groups of Scripture. And we've let chapters and verse divide what God never intended to be divided. And so as I read this um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. And if you don't have the Passion Translation, just, just, just listen to this. If I were to speak with the eloquence of Earth's many human languages, that means I could be bilingual. I could speak seven languages. I could speak 20 languages. And if I can do that and even speak in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet did not express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than the clanging of a cymbal. If I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural knowledge, and if I had the greatest gift of faith that could move mountains, but I never learned to love, I am nothing. See, if you want to do it for the sake of doing it and not for the sake of the person receiving it, you've missed it. See, I see a lot of people, Pastor, I got a word. I want to give a word. Okay, I'm glad you got a word. I'm glad you want to give a word. But I want you to have a heart for the person receiving the word more than you want to give the word. Because it's not about us giving a word. It's not about us having tongues or prophecy. It's about you. And that's what this whole new thing that we're doing at TWBC is about. It's about you. We've missed you. We've done a great job doing church for you. Now we want to do church with you. It's what 10 days in the upper room was all about. It's doing church with you. And it says, and if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I own to feed the poor and to offer my body to be burned as a martyr, without pure motives of love, I would gain nothing of value. Listen to this. Love is large and incredibly patient. Yeah. Whew. Thank you, God. <laughs> love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses, it refuses, it refuses to be jealous. 
When blessing comes to someone else, it refuses to be jealous. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflates its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best in others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for love never gives up. Amen. Mm. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades away. Hallelujah. It is more enduring than tongues, praise God, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives, the partial fades away. Now jump on down to verse 13. Until then... There are these three that remain, faith, hope, and love, yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Now, you, remember, I say we, we talk in comprehensive groups, so that stops, but it's like, oh, that's so great, but it doesn't quit. It goes right into chapter 14, and it says, so pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy for the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God but for the one for no one understands him but he utters mysteries in the spirit on the other hand the one who prophesies speaks to people for their listen to this prophecy if it's not doing these three things it's not prophecy and I've been ridiculed for this in circles beyond your wildest imagination because a lot of people like prophecy to tell everybody what their problem is, not what their answer is. New Testament prophecy is to tell you what the answer is, not what your problem is. And so in a minute, when we begin to pray over people and, and begin to speak into their lives, we're not going to say, oh, you got this problem. No, we're going to start declaring what the answer is. Because prophecy is for this. Prophecy is for the upbuilding, the encouragement, and for the consolation or comfort of the house of God or the people of God. The one who speaks in tongues builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now listen, it says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more than that, I want all of you to prophesy. That means God wants every one of you to have an encouraging, upbuilding, and word of comfort on your lips so when you walk into somebody at Walmart... <laughs> Amen. You ain't got to tell them, man, you're broken. You need help. They know they're broken. They need help. When can the body of Christ give a word of encouragement, upbuilding, and comfort to the people that need it? Hallelujah. Can we start being that church? And then it says, for the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So the purpose of prophecy, throw that screen up there, guys, is for the building up and the edification. It's for the encouraging and the exhortation, for the comfort and the consolation of people. And so God wants to move into your life in an amazing way. And right now I'm going to read to you how you prophesy, not just what to do when you prophesy, but what you prophesy to. Ezekiel 37 says this, 1 through 14, And the hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of a valley. 
and it was full of bones. See, some of y'all are already recognizing this as your family life, your personal life, your work life, something like that. You, you, you go to work and it's just a valley of dry bones everywhere. You go to some place and all you see is dryness and deadness and you're wondering, God, can you even move in this place? Well, maybe he can because that's why he's got you, an anointed man or woman of God in that place. See, I'm not always certain why people who get in the will of God think God's going to bring them to the place where everybody else is doing wonderful things too. If somebody else is doing wonderful things there, you're not needed there. Go to somewhere that needs wonderful things. Yeah. Go to somewhere that needs upbuilding, encouraging, and edification, and comfort, and all those things. And so the Spirit of the Lord brought him out to the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around them, among them. And behold, they were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered him, O Lord God, only you know. And he said to me, Prophesy to the bones. Say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of God to the bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you. And cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied... There was a sound, behold, a rattling of the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So the first thing he's told to do was prophesy to the bones. The next thing in verse 9, he says, then the Lord said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come four winds, O breath, and breathe on these that were slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and indeed we are cut off. And then he told him a third time, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open up your graves. And, from, and raise you from your graves, O my people, I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and then you will know I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So when we prophesy, what do we do? We speak words of edification, exhortation, uh, consolation or comfort, building up in the body of Christ. And we're prophesying to the bones, to the breath, the spirit of God, and to the graves. Now listen, the bones are the dead, dry things that you do see in your workplace, in your family life. A lot of you got some dry areas in your family life that when you'll begin to say life of God, spirit of God enter in, he'll begin to revitalize that, that part of your family life. It says prophesy to the breath, oh breath of heaven. See, you don't want to do it in your own strength, you want to do it in God's strength, amen? So ask for the breath of heaven, the wind of God. The same wind that happened in Genesis with the Ruach spirit of God that was hovering over the deep in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2 is the same breath here in Ezekiel 37. It's the same breath of the Holy Spirit that is in, in Acts chapter 2. It's the same breath. Yeah. And then it says prophesy to the graves. Those things that are dead, buried and hidden that you can't see. That God's going to raise up and bring out of the graves. And then the people will know that there's a God in heaven. So here's what I want us to do. I want everybody to stand here just for a moment. At this time, very silently and reverently, I want all the kids to begin to go and get with your directors at the back. Any kids kindergarten through fourth grade? If 
Father God, we bless them as they leave. We bless them as they go that they're going to experience in children's church what we're experiencing here. God, I thank you as Pastor Damon always says, even though they're going over there, there is no junior Holy Spirit. So God, let a great outpouring of your spirit happen with our kids, kindergarten through fourth grade right now. Lord, I pray for a great outpouring of your spirit here in this place. God, that you would move and have your way in us, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So here's what we're going to do for the next 30 minutes or so. I'm going to ask all the pastoral staff to begin to come up here and just begin to line the front. And Ronnie and Hope, if you guys could come and serve communion, that's going to be open. Jason's going to begin to play music over the, uh, over the speakers. Guys, go ahead and get in line like they're going to pray for people. Go ahead and just make the two lines face each other. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of just praying over you as the church. Jason, go ahead and begin playing that music. And go ahead and crank it up some. And in just a minute, when I say amen to this prayer, I'm just going to encourage you. We said we want to begin to do church with you, not do church for you. And here's what we want to do to begin to do church with you. We want to take a moment and pray over each and every one of you. And so what we're going to ask is if you would in just a few minutes as the Spirit of God leads, if you would just begin to make your way around this way. And as we begin to walk, I'm just going to ask you to just begin to walk between the staff members. And they're just going to lay their hands on you and pray for you. For some of you, a staff member may have a specific word that takes a little bit longer. If, if that happens and somebody's praying for them, just walk around the person in front of you. And just continue to walk through the line and get prayed over. And watch what God begins to do in your life. We want to pray over husbands and wives. We want to pray over families. We want to pray over our student ministries. We want to pray over every individual here. And we want to ask that God begin to move in your life. We want to speak words of uplifting. We want to speak words that are encouraging. We want to speak words that will edify your family. Some of you who are struggling with marriages, man, I, I believe that God wants to restore marriages today. Some of you that are struggling in your careers, I believe that God's going to give you a word for your career. Some of you have been seeking a word from God. Here it is. Here's your time. I also want to give you the freedom to do this as the church. Because I believe that you know how to hear from God. If you get a word from God, I don't want you to run up here and try and grab a microphone and say, I got a word. I want you to hear from God and say, God, who is this for? And personally walk to that person and say, can I pray with you? I believe God has instructed my heart to tell you something. Now I'm going to hold you accountable to this. If you're going to do that, it needs to be a word of edification, building up, encouragement, or comfort. Don't walk up to somebody and say, I just see this evil spirit resting over your life. That's not prophecy. That's flesh. If you see that, that's fine. God's showing you the problem so you can bring them the answer, not address the problem. If you see that with somebody, they don't got to know that. Just, just, just go bring them a word that says, I see new life entering into you. I see freedom coming into your life. I'm just going to do it on Steve. 
Steve, I see freedom coming into your life at levels that you've never experienced before. I see the power of God beginning to move in your life in a way that you've dreamed about and desired about. And Lord God, I thank you that he doesn't walk in fear, but he walks by faith. I thank you that you gave this man a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. And God, I thank you he begins to operate in the fullness of which you intended him to operate. And so God, fill him with the Holy Spirit and power in Jesus' name. It's that simple. That's what we do. So, Father God, I pray that your spirit begin to move across this place mightily. As we pray for one another, as we lay hands on one another, as you give specific words to individuals, specific moments, I thank you, Lord God, that people are bold in their faith, that they want to be prayed over. And, Lord God, as we pray over them this morning, dramatically revolutionize and transform their life by the power of your spirit. God, we do this for one reason, because we love you. And we do it out of a spirit of love. Because we're not giving up on the people that you've given us. In fact, we're going to empower them. We're not going to begin to, to, to say, oh my gosh, where are we? We're going to begin to declare where we are by the power of the living God. We thank you, Father, for your spirit moving in this place. In Jesus' mighty name. Church, at this time, if you want us to pray over you, and we want to pray over everybody in this room, that's our desire. If you would, just begin to make your way over here and begin to walk through the line, and we'll pray over you.